You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, hello, hello to all the fans out there. This is a new show of the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Big Easy, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy the Man Eater Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Tide only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Could you believe the weather that we're getting right now in the wintertime? It is December, Speedy. I think the weather was at 59 degrees today. 59? 59, almost 60 degrees. That's spring weather. That's sometimes you could say at certain aspects of the summer. That could be summer weather. Not hot summer weather, but the beginning of the summer would be about 65. I guess we're doing hemisphere swap. I don't know what's going on over here in New York and Long Island, but very surprised. But hopefully in January we experience the snow, the cold, and the winter because with the ice age and the glacier, over there in Antarctica, it doesn't seem right that we're not getting some winter. It could be the end of the world if as it, we know it. If the Ice Age comes <laughs> in, can we at least get Scrat too? I have no idea what that is, but I guess we From can. From the movie Ice Age. Oh, well, there you go. The little squirrel. He's the best character. Uh, do you have one of those acorns? Yeah. You're going to have to look for him right now. I mean, it's, it's sure. too hot yeah. for an acorn <laughs> to be on the ground. Usually, this is spring weather, and it doesn't make any sense that it's 60 degrees today in Long Island. But this is the way it is. We have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to athletic NBA analyst Trayvon Edwards. Yes, Trayvon. I love that name, by the way. Rolls off the tongue, Speedy. Trayvon. Trayvon. Trayvon Edwards. But great NBA analyst. We'll get into the New York Knicks and obviously the Brooklyn Nets. The Kevin Durant of the world, who I believe is the MVP of the whole NBA. He's been unbelievable this year. He's really put the team on his shoulders and playing great basketball over there in Brooklyn. And as far as the New York Knicks are concerned, Julius Airball Randall is doing what we expected him to do. I am not a big Julius Randall fan, as everybody knows. If you listen to sports loudmouths during the week, I, I can't stand him. But for $116 million, maybe a third option, a guy that can give you 19 and 10 and, and give you about 3-4 assists a game. He's the Kevin Love of the New York Knicks. Hopefully, they can find themselves the LeBron or Kyrie Irving. I don't know if they're going to be able to see that or hope, find that. I just but, hope you don't get the Cavs' Kevin Love. We'll go for the Timberwolves' Kevin Love for Julius Randle. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the New York Knicks. And Tom Thibodeau looks like he's going have an ulcer or a heart attack on the way this team is playing. They're not playing good basketball, and to me, as a New York Knicks fan and one of my favorite teams in all of sports, they're unwatchable right now. I like some of the young players, but we'll get into that a little bit later with... Trayvon Edwards. We will get into week 15. Obviously, the Chargers in Kansas City played on Thursday. Uh, Great first game of the week. One of the best games, I mean, if you look at the matchup. And probably a matchup you could see in the playoffs. Great overtime game, obviously. Travis Kelsey scores the game-winning touchdown. Almost 200 yards receiving. Yeah, patting him on his shoulder. But Travis Kelsey's really exploding the last couple of weeks. Looking really, really good. We'll get into the Jets as everybody is reading the newspapers. The front pages of the back page of Newsday and the New York Post, well, it is 
Zach Wilson. And there's a lot to be said about the New York Jets right now and the way they've played this year, especially they can't stop the run and they can't run the ball. So everybody wants to point their finger on a young player, a young prospect, the second pick of the first round, Mr. Zach Wilson. I disagree with a lot of the fans. We will get into the Giants and Joe Judge and the New York Giants come out and say that Joe Judge is going to keep his job for season number three. And is Dave Gettleman going to keep his job? That's going to be the question with all the draft stock that the Giants have built in the last two years, is it going to be Dave Gettleman drafting at those picks? And we'll go through all the games, and and we'll make our three-for-all picks of the week, which I am in the lead, as always. Yeah, of course the Buccaneers had to blow the lead and force overtime, so I couldn't get my under. Thank you, Tampa defense. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. But I did gain one game last week, the 49ers, barely getting over with their overtime wins, so I cut the lead to two. I gotta stop playing with you. I keep giving you the opportunity to catch up, just like I give Jeff the opportunity to pass me, but he's four in front of me out of our picks on the Sports Loudmouths, and you are dead last, buddy. Dead last. Yeah. It's weird because my playoff picks don't seem that far off, just the game picks have been really horrible this year, yeah. And and obviously Tyler Mothball Harrison has been horrible too. So yeah. it's just really me versus Jeff. Who's gonna win the title by the end of the season? And I will be victorious, especially this week. I think my picks are dead on. And we will make those picks a little bit later in the show. We will also get into baseball. Chris Bryant's name has been brought up the last couple of days. And where is he heading? Well, a lot of Met fans should be excited. The three teams that are very, very intrigued and very interested in landing Chris Bryant, well, the New York Mets are one of them. And the Yankees are another team that could be the fourth or fifth team option if it becomes available or if Chris Bryant becomes available at a little bit of cheaper price. I think the Yankees could swoop right in and grab him. But it is the New York Mets, the lead team or the second team right now that could land a Chris Bryant. So Met fans should be very excited about that. So we'll get into that. We will also get into the Islanders and Rangers. The Islanders have looked absolutely horrible. They won two days ago against the Boston Bruins. So maybe this will leap them and and push them a little bit forward and maybe figure things out because what they have shown the New York fans is that this team isn't the same team they've been the last two years. So let's hope that this will pull them out of the hole that they're in. And obviously the New York Rangers that are playing great hockey. One of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. By the way, that's coming from a non-Ranger fan. So anybody that thinks that I'm out of my mind, well, here you go. I want to get into some football. I want to get into the Giants because we talked about the Giants on Thursday night when we were on the Sports Lab Mounds. And Anthony Anderosi, a good friend of mine, my counterpartner on our MMA show, Caged in MMA, he played football, played college football at Rutgers. We were going back and forth trying to figure out what this Giant team needs to do moving forward to change the outlook of this team and this organization for what we have seen in the last five, six seasons. Now, a lot of Giant fans thought that Joe Judge was the guy. He was the quiet, silenced Bill Belichick that was going to draw this team and bring this team to the promised land again, like Tom Coughlin did a couple of years ago, or maybe 10 years ago, (laughs) but a long time ago. But yeah, what we have seen with this New York Giant team is these draft picks, besides maybe one or two, have really haven't produced. And their top draft picks haven't produced. You look at, obviously, Saquon Barkley, who was drafted a couple of years ago. A lot of people thought he was going to be the quote-unquote next 
Barry Sanders. He really hasn't stayed healthy. He really hasn't produced besides his first two seasons. So he has fallen off, especially on the depth charts of where the Giants are going to be and what the Giants need to do in the offseason and maybe move him. You talk about some of the other options, the Thomases of the world, who looks like could be a player. I would move a guy like Thomas to the right tackle position in draft. If they somehow get Neal in the draft this year or falls to them in the draft, I would scoop Neal up, move him to the left tackle position, and you solidify your offensive line for many, many years to come. But I don't know if that's going to happen with all the teams in front of them. But with Neal, I don't know with the Giants and where they are as an organization, where they're going to go in the offseason in the draft. They have two first-round draft picks. Looks like, as of right now, they would have first-round five and six. So they could scoop up a, a good pass rusher and an offensive lineman. There's a couple of them that are definitely quality in this year's draft, but maybe not as good as the last couple of drafts as far as the offensive line is concerned. Right. But I look at the Giants right now. There is nothing that really stands out to me as far as Daniel Jones is concerned. I like Daniel Jones. I don't think they have enough protection. I don't think they have enough weapons. I don't want to hear about Tony. He can't stay healthy. He's missed a significant amount of time this year. He's only played three full games. <laughs> the three full games he's looked incredible. But the yeah. other games, he can't stay healthy, he can't stay on the field, he can't stay out of trouble. He's been fined already twice this year. So could he be another Odell Beckham, a guy that shows himself to be a great player but really can't stay on the field or really doesn't shut his mouth where it keeps himself out of trouble here in New York? I don't know. But I'm telling you, Speedy, you're a Giant fan. You can't be excited about what this team is and what this team looks like right now. Not if they keep Joe Judge. Joe Judge, to me, has regressed in year two. I don't think he has the same game planning wise peskiness. You don't see the same fight in this Giants team that you saw last year. Schedule was also not as easy with the NFC West and the AFC South comparison to the NFC South this year, which is not as good as the NFC West. So I don't think they're the same peskiness. Last year, they won six games, and they played close with other playoff teams. The Bears were a playoff team. They played them close. The Rams were a playoff team. They played them close. Cleveland was a playoff team. They played them close. They don't have that same kind of peskiness. The Raiders were really their only good win this season that you could say, okay, this team was actually hot coming into the game. It looked like they were well-rounded, overcoming adversity like they did with everything they've gone through this season between Gruden and Ruggs. The Giants beat them. That was really the only good win. Beyond that, they don't have that kind of thing this year. And Joe Judge, dumb timeouts, dumb challenges, just game planning-wise hasn't been the same. We've seen teams do great jobs at overcoming injuries this year. And the Giants have had a lot of players hurt. Okay. But it doesn't seem like they're getting those kinds of competitive games anymore. They're either getting blown out or blowing a lead late or somehow randomly winning against bad teams or that's really it outside of the Raider game that's been in all season in terms of the draft yeah there's a lot of combinations I definitely want one pass rusher for sure they can't pass that up with fifth and sixth if they keep their picks they could trade back as well if they do get Evan Neal I actually disagree with you I would rather keep Thomas at left tackle because at right tackle he wasn't as good in his career and Evan Neal mostly at Alabama played right tackle. So I actually would be comfortable with him just staying at right tackle where he naturally is. If that's the case, I don't think the giants will end up getting him. I think he'll either go in the top three or he'll go to the jets. But if that's the case, I'd rather keep him at right tackle, but they have to take at least one pass rusher. If they do keep their picks, I will say this. When you look at the regression of this team, since Tom Coughlin has left, it only points to one guy, one person from this whole organization and the failure of this organization, which has been a promising organization really for the last 50 years. And that is John Mara. Yeah. And Mara 
who has really swept things under the rug uh, over the last couple of years. Some of his players, the domestic violence stuff that's come out, the Odell Beckham situation, they tried to push that under the rug and then trade him. They get a significant amount back for him, but really didn't pay off on the prospects and the players that they brought back for him. You thought Jabril Peppers was going to be a player and a playmaker. He had one good season and has fallen off this year. So you look at the Giants right now, and there's only one guy. You can't blame the coaching. You really can't blame Joe Judge. Now, Joe Judge has fallen into this position. He really wasn't the lead guy to get this position. We all know the guy from Carolina was the guy that they wanted, and that was Matt Rule. Carolina overpaid him, and look, the Giants should be happy. They didn't have to overpay Matt Rule, and he might be out for a job this year where they could scoop him up if they really want him. I don't know where this team is and what this team is all about, and as far as Daniel Jones is concerned, I think people need to stop jumping on this kid's back. When this kid has players around him and he can make plays, he has shown you that he could be a starting quarterback in a Is he an elite quarterback? Is he Eli Manning? We don't know. Eli Manning wasn't an elite quarterback. Now, he is a Hall of Famer, but you could never say he was a top five quarterback at any time in his career. But his numbers show you that he could play. Numbers show you that he can win with Eli, and that's why he won two Super Bowl MVPs, and that's why he won two Super Bowls in 2007 and 2011. But Daniel Jones might never get a chance to show himself in the playoffs because he might not be able to get off the rounds of where this team is When it comes to playmaking, because they don't have an offensive line, they don't have wide receivers, they've overpaid wide receivers in Kenny Galladay, and it doesn't make any sense when you draft a wide receiver that doesn't even actually step on the field. Kenny Galladay has 21 touchdowns in his career. 11 of them were in one season. Put that into perspective. And how many does he have this year for the Giants? $78 million. Zero. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying $78 because that's what the Giants paid him to come over here when he didn't want to be a giant. He didn't want to come over here to be a big blue or whatever they call themselves. You know who has more receiving touchdowns this year than Kenny Galladay? Both Andrew Thomas and Elijah Penny. We should call that the Giants a lot. We should call the Giants Big Purple because they have I more like bruises than touchdowns this year. Okay? I wouldn't insult the color purple like that by putting it on the Giants. Well, those are facts. You know where they say bruises are like blue, you know? So Oh yeah. From that indicative, yeah, sure. The big blue. I like that word. Bruises. Indicative. Yeah. I like it. Big yeah. blue bruises sounds about right. Well, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our picks of the week, our three for all picks of the week, and we will get into the New York Jets and week 15 in the NFL here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is another show of the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Daryl Marks, and my co-host, Speedy the man, Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Weekend Crunch. Yes, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, but we are the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I know nobody has heard the story that when I went to the dry cleaners this week, how this old lady in Center Reach, Long Island, was yelling at me because I was opening up my door and trying to get my dirty clothes to bring it inside. There was a back and forth banter and I wanted to, no offense to the old lady, choke her. She was out of her mind. I I think the zero tolerance here in New York and Long Island is incredibly terrible, especially with the older crowd. If you're over 70 years old, you shouldn't be driving and you shouldn't be yelling at people that are twice the size of you when they didn't do anything to you. So if you guys actually go to a dry cleaners, beware of the older, immature 
older fan or older person because I was torn. But thank God I got in my car and I just drove off because she was out of her damn mind. Anyways, I want to get back into football. I want to get into the Jets. There's a lot to speak about with the New York Jets. As much as we talked about the Giants, there's a lot more about what we have seen with the New York Jets this year. Robert Sala is a rookie head coach, so he's not Joe Judge. We can't really attack Robert Sala for his first season because we still don't know what Robert Sala is as a head coach. And we can't really attack Mike LaFleur because Mike LaFleur is a first-time offensive coordinator. Everybody says, all the analysts that we interviewed, they all said that this offense is one of the more difficult offense to understand and learn. So it's going to take about two years for the quarterback and the team to understand the scheme of the offense. And they don't really have a running back. And I know everybody's going to say, well, Carter, Carter's a great player. He's more like a Leon Washington. He's a guy that can do all the things in the backfield that you want him to do. He's not a power back. He's not a guy that's going to run up the middle and beat the hell out of the defensive lines that they're going to play against. He is not that type of player. So I think the Jets in the offseason, either in free agency or in the draft, they have to figure out where they are at that position because it's not Pirine. He was a wasted third-round pick by Joe Douglas and really probably the worst draft pick besides the pass rusher they got from Florida, Zaniga, who is no longer a Jet. Those two Florida picks were horrible. But besides that, he's been good when it comes to his draft picks. Now, his corners that he's drafted in later rounds, especially Bryce Hall from last year, he looks like he's a player. The other players, the Michael Carter kid that they brought from Duke and the other guys that they brought in later in the rounds, even the safeties who couldn't stay healthy this year, which they moved to linebacker, both of them couldn't stay healthy this year, but they both look like they're players. So you look at Joe Douglas's draft, you're not skeptical that he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing when it comes to drafting. But does he really know what he's doing when it comes to free agency and spending the money right? Corey Davis, to me, he's more of a number three. I know you paid him number two type of money when it comes to a wide receiver. He thinks he's a number one. You gave him $38 million. I think it was an affordable contract for the Jets. I wouldn't bring him back in the offseason. And also, they brought Cole in. I thought Keenan Cole was going to be a good player and a good add-on from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's been a bust. He really has. The time that he's been on the field, he's been horrible. Elijah Moore looks like he's going to be a player for the future. He really is. I think he could be a star in this league. But he can't stay healthy this year. He missed all preseason. We have to see 16, 17 games of this kid on the field to really know what he is. And Zach Wilson. I know a lot of people are discouraged with this kid. We've talked to draft people. We've had conversations about what they thought of him when he was drafted for BYU. He had no competition, which it really doesn't matter. We've seen quarterbacks come out from small schools that had no competition that are elite quarterbacks in the league right now or elite quarterbacks from the past. Steve Young's of the world, the Tony Romo's of the world. We know what these elite quarterbacks could be, even coming from small schools. Yes. So that is a crock. But what we've seen of Zach Wilson this year, you can't be excited. And you can't sit here and say, we'll get him next year, bud. Because next year is going to be an important year for the development of this kid. Because this kid cannot make the mistakes that he's made this year, the short passes that he has bombed on, and he's been horrible. This guy has been an accurate thrower since college, since high school. He is not accurate right now. And everybody brings up Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has looked a little bit better than Zach Wilson. Not much, but a little bit better. He's thrown more yards, but he's also played in three or four more games than Zach Wilson. So you'd expect him to throw about 1,000 more yards, which he has. That being said, he was also coached by Urban Meyer. So. And, and by the way, <laughs> we will get into Urban Meyer in just one second. But 
this team has not been the team that we thought they were going to be defensively. You bring in Robert Sala, who's one of the best defensive minds in all of the NFL. This team is ranked, what, 19th in all football purpose yards? Second worst run defense. Second worst run defense in all of the NFL when they were the second best run defense Mm -hmm. in all of football when Adam Gase is the head coach. To me, you sit back and you wonder, what is this team? What is the strength of this team? Now, they're the youngest team in football. So being that you're the youngest team in football, you can't really attack a young team. But what are you going to say next year when you're a more veteran team? You bring in more veterans to play on this offensive line. And Mekhi Beckham, he played one game. He's out for the rest of the season. This guy was ranked sixth best left tackle and tackle in all of football going into the season. He played one game. One game, he's out for the rest of the season. That is alarming as a Jet fan. But nevertheless, you have to sit back and you have to give this coaching staff and this team, this young team, an opportunity, Speedy. Yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting scenario with the Jets that they let the scheme overpower the rookie quarterback at first. And the scheme was always going to be stronger. Sometimes we see coaches change their scheme to accommodate for the young quarterback, the young franchise quarterback. We saw the Ravens do that with Lamar Jackson. We saw the Bills do that for Josh Allen when they were always more of a pocket presence type team. Even Sean McDermott, it evolved from Cam Newton. He had to be a little different with Josh Allen. The Chargers with Justin Herbert. Anthony Lynn was a very run-heavy guy. Had to evolve that for Justin Herbert. And he played great last year, one rookie of the year. But you're seeing now kind of the opposite. Now, I'm with you where you have to give the scheme a chance because it is a very creative offense, heavy motion offense, which is the modern NFL. The problem is like exactly what you're saying. Zach Wilson's missing on way too many short passes, which is a huge key in that kind of offense. Kyle Shanahan's offenses have been known for leading the league in two things. One, motion rate, and two, yards after the catch every year. And that's what these skill players, these running backs, Elijah Moore especially, were brought in to be guys that could be yards after the catch. So if Zach Wilson's missing screen passes, slants, out routes, short five-yard passes, that's a problem for an offense that relies on that kind of thing to be successful. In terms of the receivers, yeah, they're dropping passes too. Corey Davis, uncharacteristic. Usually that was the one thing he was good at, possession. He wasn't a great route runner in Tennessee. He wasn't great deep threat. He was a good possession guy, and he's still dropping passes. Keelan Cole, I think he's been misused, but I think he's been misused his whole career. But even so, he, he might not be a scheme fit either just because it's more of a yards after the catch, and he's more of a contested catch physical type guy, kind of like we were seeing with Denzel Mims too. So I think that end of it is definitely been iffy and the defense yeah it's the first year in the system kind of peaked early and played a lot better than expected and then all of a sudden come back down to earth but yeah them being against the run that surprising it could be a lot with Carl Lawson losing Carl Lawson because you could take away a lot of pressure on the ends and really concentrate on the middle if you have a guy like Carl Lawson that's causing havoc on the outside they don't have a Carl Lawson he's out for the season so I believe that this defense is going to be a lot better next year with maybe some of the additions in free agency are Carl Lawson coming back. I think there'll be a lot more fun to watch next year with Quinton Williams who has had a decent season, but he hasn't been the dominant player that we thought he was going to be, and that has a lot to do with teams double-teaming him, triple-teaming him, and and the injury-prone player that he's been. So, I expect a different outlook to this defense next year. As far as Urban Meyer is concerned, now, I have been predicting that Urban Meyer wasn't going to last the season. Ever since that story came out that he was hanging out in Ohio at his own bar with a bunch of young girls and enjoying himself, getting a lap dance or whatever the heck he was getting, I didn't think that he was going to keep this job very long. Now, his daughter speaks out, Gigi. She says that they're going to regret it. She's going to drop the hammer on the Jaguars. I don't know why she's speaking because I think her father's a grown-up. He's a big boy, and he can handle his own problem with the press and obviously with the Jaguars. 
Jacksonville Jaguars organization. But Urban Meyer was not going to last long over here because I just didn't think he should have taken the job when he got offered the job. He was more of a college coach. I don't think his scheme would fit the NFL. We've seen a lot of coaches from college football come to the NFL and their schemes just not fit. Nick Saban, who's one of the greatest college coaches of all time, his scheme, even though he was only in the league for a year and a half, two years, it didn't work in the NFL. He had a winning record, but it didn't work. Chip Kelly, who I think is a great college coach, it didn't work in the NFL. Winning record didn't work in the NFL. And having a winning record and coming to the NFL and getting paid as much as you have over the years, and you've seen these college coaches, Jim Harbaugh was more of an NFL-style coach. He goes to college and hasn't succeeded there. But now he has a chance to win a national championship, and he could shut everybody up if he wins a national championship with Michigan where they could not be thought to be there this year. But nevertheless, Urban Meyer has been a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. And I know everybody says he doesn't deserve to lose the job. I am an Urban Meyer fan. I followed him in Utah, in Florida, in Ohio State. He's won multiple national championships. This guy has won everywhere he's gone. So why did anybody think teaching college players as a drill sergeant coming to the NFL, it was going to work? His draft... This year, his first year, was horrible. He drafts Travis Etienne when he didn't need him. Now they had Robinson all season long, and he doesn't play him. He has Trevor Lawrence speaking out, sticking up for Robinson, because Robinson isn't getting played, and he's one of the more prolific offensive options they have on their roster. So I am not surprised Urban Meyer got fired, Speedy. Not at all. No. One of the most disastrous tenures of any head coach in NFL history. Yeah. It wasn't even a full season. Exactly. It starts with hiring Chris Doyle, an Iowa strength coach who was saying racist things. That's their first mistake. Terrible draft. Anyone could have drafted Trevor Lawrence. Oh, big whoop. Reach on a running back. Reaching the second round, third round. Misusing all those guys. Tim Tebow for tight end. Oh, yeah, let's uh, make that happen. He was saying Gardner Minshew was out of chance as a starting quarterback. Yeah, way to shoot your quarterback's confidence down in Trevor Lawrence. You say, all right. By the I way, Gardner Minshew is actually starting right now as yep. we speak. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come out and say, oh, I want a Kadarius Tony. Yeah, way to shoot your running back's confidence down when you drafted ETN. ETN gets hurt, obviously, but it's still not a good look. Obviously, the incident in the bar. Then, all of a sudden, it comes out. He kicks his kicker, Josh Lambeau, for missing a couple kicks right before the practice of the last preseason game. Yeah, that's going to look good, too. Goodbye. Well, and the press seemed to slip those stories as the end has come. And the ownership over there, Jacksonville couldn't keep him. With Trevor Lawrence, a player of that magnitude, a superstar player who's looked good this year, even with a really bad team. He's got some weapons. He's got more weapons than Zach Wilson. To me, he could have been better this year, but he still has had a decent season. He's still going to break 3,000 yards. He's still going to throw probably around 19 touchdowns. Zach Wilson has six touchdowns and 11 interceptions. That's not a good year for a starting quarterback. So I'm not trying to compare Zach Wilson to Trevor Lawrence, but they're always going to be compared because they were the first and second pick in the first round. Now, do I think that Zach Wilson has more of an option to be successful in New York? I do. I believe that the Jets, the money that they have and the draft stock they have, they've really put him in a good position to succeed if he figures out what his weaknesses are this year and becomes more of a prolific offensive option for the New York Jets. But Urban Meyer, not a surprise. As far as Week 15, the Chiefs knock off the Chargers in overtime. Sensational game. First game of the week. We have our first Saturday game 
this week. Colts and Patriots. So that's going to be fun to watch. I got the Colts in this game. I think the Colts are going to be very good, especially over the last couple of years. They just don't play well against the Patriots, either at home or away. But something tells me with the Colts needing this game, they're going to come out very, very strong. They're going to figure things out. And I think they're going to win a very, very close game against this Patriot team. But the Patriots have been one of the best teams in the NFL. In the AFC, they're the number one seed. And if the Colts have any chance of really standing themselves into the sixth seed in the AFC, they need to knock off the Patriots. I think the Colts have a very good chance to win this game at home on nationally televised game. Frank Reich, you better be ready for the Patriots to try to take out Jonathan Taylor. So you got to have an alternate game plan. Can't just trust him. He has Pittman. Michael Pittman's a good player, a reliable offensive option. And Carlson Wentz, who has had a good season, really has had a great season. He has an opportunity to really show people why the Colts made that trade and brought him in. And he could be worth a first-round draft pick going into the offseason. So that's a game that really stands out to me, the first Saturday game. Next week will be two Saturdays. Well, they were supposed to be two, and then the Browns and the Raiders just got moved. Yes. So. Well, well, that's because of the COVID situation. Right. And that could change a lot of people's options on making their picks, a.k.a. Jeff, saying that this week is just going to be a complete blowout because the Browns aren't going to have starters. Well, moving it to Monday, you know what that means? It means a lot of these players might be back on Monday. That tells me you might have to change your pick. But you won't because you're an idiot. Speedy, are you ready for our three-for-all picks of the week? Yes, here we go. So we'll actually start with that Patriots and Colts game. You mentioned that you had the Colts. I guess you're kind of revealing your winner, I guess. But the over-under is 45.5. So where do you stand on that? I got it on the under. I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. I think it's going to be the battle of the running games, which running game is better, and which team is going to stop the other second team's option. So I got the Colts in this game. I got this on the under. I'm going to take the Patriots. You mentioned they don't have a good track record. I think Jonathan Taylor will still play well in this game. I think the Patriots will also try to game plan for Pittman, too, with J.C. Jackson having the season he's having, that secondary playing very well. I think it'll be a close game. I just don't know if Carson Wentz is the one I would trust in the close game. I think Bill Belichick will try to figure him out later in the game. He usually likes to force it down the field. Both these defenses very good, though, so I will also take the under, but I will take the Patriots. All right, let's go to the Titans at the Steelers, the over-under 43.5. This is going to be an interesting game. The Steelers really need this game. If they have any chance of making the playoffs with that one tie, and a terrible tie against the Lions, I got the Titans in this game. I think Ryan Tannehill is going to come out strong. The weapons that they have, I don't see A.J. Brown coming back. He has been practicing with the team, but I don't think you're going to see him this week. But I still like this team. I think this team is more dominant defensively. So give me the Titans on the over. I'm going to take the Titans as well. I think the Steelers' run defense being leaky has definitely been a big problem. And Tennessee has made it work running the ball even without Derrick Henry. Obviously, nobody's going to be Derrick Henry, but they've still made it an efficient run game where I think they can make a difference. And the receivers have done well with big plays, so I think they'll still be able to stretch the field. And Tennessee's defense has gotten a good production in their front seven, which has been a good sign. They just saw signs Zach Cunningham as well to bolster that as well. And those linebackers have been aiding their corners even with all the injuries they've had. And the Steelers' receivers still haven't been great either. So the Titans, I think, will be able to contain Najee Harris and make it hard for Tennessee. So I'm going to take the Titans as well, but I'll take them on the under. And then the last one, also 43.5, the Packers at the Ravens. I got the Packers in this game. I think going into Baltimore, the Ravens haven't looked good. Lamar Jackson looks like he's scared. I don't know what's going on with him. I love the Packers in this game. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I think both teams are going to be able to score. The thing about the Green Bay Packers that worries me in this game is really going to Baltimore. It's going to be cold. And Baltimore is very good on their home field. So 
Give me the Packers. I'll okay. take them on the under. I'm going to take the Packers as well. I'm going to take them on the under. I think this would be a lower scoring game than people expect. The Ravens defense has been still good in the front seven. Even with their secondary injuries, the Packers receivers outside of Devontae Adams don't really have the capabilities of stretching the field to take advantage of that secondary. And the Ravens have struggled this year with pass-catching running backs, so I still think Aaron Jones does well, but I think the Ravens' defense keeps it close. And Lamar Jackson, since his ankle injury, really has been playing kind of conservative more, so that doesn't bode well for this Ravens offense. Against a Packers defense, that's been very good this season, despite all the injuries. So I'll take the Packers on the under. And that, ladies and gentlemen, are our three-for-all picks of the week. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to athletic NBA analyst Trayvon Edwards here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Another great guest this week, and we are now talking to athletic NBA analyst Trayvon. Yes, Trayvon Edwards. What's going on, Trayvon? What's going on? We good Long Island with the different weathers. It's so weird. We're in the wintertime. It's December. It's around Christmas. It's supposed to be 30 degrees, cold, snowy. No. Today it was 58 degrees, wet outside, but it's beautiful. It feels like spring. I, I don't understand what the weather is over here. I don't, but this is why COVID and the flu is here to stay. I'm still getting used to New York weather. It's kind of crazy. Are you here like, in New York right now? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Are you from New York or are you from somewhere else? No. No, I'm from Compton. I'm from the West Coast. Oh, oh wow. I, I could tell that yeah. you're not from around here. You know what I mean? You're smooth. Smooth. I'll, I'll take it, man. That's, that's very kind. I love Brooklyn. I went to school over there. I used to roam the streets over there, Coney Island Avenue. I know Brooklyn. Brooklyn <laughs> is in the house. So, yeah, it's uh, to Brooklyn. Tell me a little bit about how you became an NBA analyst. What made you decide to do this after school? What really brought Trayvon Edwards to the broadcasting world? My path was unique it wasn't like any other path i had no plans of getting into this side of the business i played college basketball and then after i was done i became a school teacher so i was a school teacher for six years a buddy of mine Hassan, was working with the sons and then he went to espn they had a podcast called true they had me come on but this was during the time derrick rose went awol first stint i was around the team at that time because i was coming out to new york often visiting brandon jennings when he was on the team so i was around during that time and amin invited me on I didn't know it was ESPN's podcast at the particular time to talk about this Derrick Rose situation. And I was able to come on and a couple of people tweeted me and was like, yo, you should start doing pods, coming on a little bit more. And I was like, I'm not doing no podcast. I'm a teacher. Like, I'm just happy to know friends that's in the league or whatever. And they invited me to come back on. I had brought Chris Childs on and then also Steven Jackson. So after that, they offered me to just come on and just do stuff. So I enjoyed it. I didn't think it would take off anything because I still remained a teacher for like at least three more years before it took off. But after a couple of my friends left ESPN and we were all able to work together, we started Count the Dinks, a podcast network, and we just kind of built it from the ground up with our community. And then after that, we partnered up with Athletic. And that's how I got hired with Athletic almost three years now. It's been great being able to discuss the NBA and just create great content. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. So why don't we get in 
to your NBA content. We're here in New York, and we see good basketball on one side of the river, and we see terrible, and I say terrible, because as a Knicks fan, Julius Randle got a $116 million contract in the offseason. He says he's a number one player, and he took that contract because he wanted the Knicks to bring in another superstar in the future and turn this Mm -hmm. team into a championship competitive team every single year moving forward. But this year, Mr. Bricklayer has been Mr. Offset, Mr. Airball, whatever you want to call Julius Randle. So why don't we get into the Knicks right now and the woes of this team with the depth bringing Kemba Walker, Fournier. We thought that this team was going to be much better than they were as a fourth seed last year going into the playoffs and bombing against the Atlanta Hawks. After what they did, they brought in certain players, offensive players, even drafted defensive players like McBride and, and Grimes as a good shooter. What are your thoughts to this New York Knicks team so far on what you see? Because it looks like Tom Thibodeau is looking like he's going to have a heart attack before season's end. It's been a disappointment, obviously, with the expectations of how well they did last season. And I definitely picked them to go to the playoffs again early on. And it just went backwards. I was never crazy about the signing of Kemba Walker. Not saying that it wasn't a great fit, but just how Thibodeau coaches with certain different point guards. The unfortunate situation with Kemba is he's healthy and he can contribute with another team. But Tibbs decided to make the decision to put out the players that he felt could deliver, and they haven't. They are, what, one and eight now Mm -hmm. since the benching, and there's no trade value for Kemba at the moment. So it's unfortunate. He's being a pro's pro, just still showing up and doing what he has to do. The one thing I've learned about living in New York City and how passionate New York Knicks fans are, and it's no place like it, for one, bleed orange and blue, but the expectations sometimes, right? You get players like Julius Randle. I remember seeing people saying Julius Randle was the best thing. He was more impactful than Carmelo Anthony just because they were riding it high. And it was like, slow down. It worked last year because they played as a team. It wasn't because Julius was the number one guy. They played as a team. And now they got complacent. That's why the results were against the Hawks. They went away from everything they did. And it carried over into the next season. Nothing wrong with paying Julius. But at the end of the day, you look at it in a situation of, Making him your number one guy. He's not number one guy. He's like two or three. He's a good complimentary player. But at the end of the day, he's a black hole. He doesn't get anybody else involved. The bench sometimes has to step up and get them going. And it's interesting because it's kind of like similar to what Portland was dealing with, with Chauncey Billups trying to find the bench to motivate the starters. Thibodeau wants to win now. Unfortunately, they're not moving in that direction. And they should look in another direction to improving this roster i don't think making a crazy swing and unloading a bunch of guys because i hear damian lillard's name attached to the knicks all the time or knicks fans saying they want it but i always tell them think mellow 2.0 had felton chandler like guys that could really contribute and then they went all in on this one trade that it didn't deliver a championship it got two playoff appearances so you look in this situation of like everybody wants to play for the knicks but you have tough skin to play for the knicks they probably even won before all of us were born but at the end of the day it's just tradition culture the fans gonna show up for you win lose you can't just come here so dame can't have an off night because your expectations are so high for him because at that caliber of the player if you can't take portland media you definitely not gonna take new york media especially when you're going three for 17 or you're not shooting how you want to nope. shoot so be careful what you ask for but i just think that now they should build around rj Obi, start getting these young guys confidence and kind of go away from it because randall's not making those dudes better it's taking away from him the progression of it it's hurting the knicks more than it's helping the knicks and i like julius randall i think he's a baller i think he can play but his style does not work 
So what do you think is the solution with Kemba Walker in that case? Because you said it's going to be very hard to trade him with the way he's playing right now. Bench him still more. Because they're 1-8, do they have to try experimenting with him in a different role? Do they go back to starting him? Do they still try to trade him anyway and just move on? Maybe a veteran-for-veteran swap and just try a, a culture change? What do you think is the best option for that? It's so unfortunate because like he's a good character guy, quality guy to be in the locker room, and he just fell out with Tibbs. He's not a Tibbs guy, unfortunately. But it also sucks because there's no market for him. If they care about Kimball Walker and they want to do him a good deed, release him, wave him, unless he's a throw-in. But I'm sure the other team probably will wave him too and he ends up where he wants to go, where someone will actually appreciate him. I could see him going across the water mm-hmm. <laughs> to Brooklyn and being way more effective than all this other going because you can have a rental for Kyrie Irving. It's a low ax too, to be with the Nets right now. They're about to sign James Ennis. They're just bringing guys on just to play next to Kevin Durant, but just... These guys don't hurt the team. Everybody doesn't have that luxury. We are talking to athletic NBA analyst Trayvon Edwards. Over the Hudson River, you have the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets right now are the best team in the East without Kyrie Irving. James Harden has COVID right now, but he'll be back soon. LaMarcus Aldridge comes back. He looks better than he was before he retired from the heart condition that he had. The other pieces that they added in the offseason, it made this team so much better. A place for Kevin Durant to really bring his skills and play at the top of his game. This year, Kevin Durant, to me, is the MVP, averaging almost 29 points, almost 8 rebounds, and he's having more assists than he ever has anywhere he's ever been, from OKC to Golden State, and now with the Brooklyn Nets. When you look at this team, and you just mentioned they're bringing in Innis, there could be other pieces to be added before the trade deadline or after the trade deadline. Do you think, if Kyrie Irving comes back, is this the team to beat this year the way Kevin Durant is playing, not only in the East, but throughout the league? If they get Kyrie Irving back, yes, they'll be the team to beat. But right now, I still have the Bucks long-term. The Nets could finish as a one seed in the East, but none of the regular season never matters. It only matters to teams that never been there. Lovable losers. This team is playing for the ultimate goal. They were literally one footstep of making it to the finals. That's the main goal. But I do feel that Milwaukee still has a lot more pieces that could put them over the top when they're matched up. If they can land Kyrie Irving, that definitely extends their chances. So I wanted to ask about Kyrie Irving. What point in the season do you say, all right, he's still not playing right now. Maybe they should explore other options. Do they move him? Do they try to trade for depth? Patty Mills is playing great right now. Will it last? At what point in the season, like either duration-wise or a condition, maybe they start to slump a little bit. Do they say, all right, maybe we got to make a move for a couple players? I think they're going to make a move regardless. I think right now it's a league problem. And that's why it's probably not busy as of yesterday, because now players are eligible to be traded because of the COVID stuff. Teams are slim right now. You, I mean, you couldn't even trade a guy if you wanted to. But I think Harden's more likely to go than Irvin. Wow, that's crazy. It really is, because James Harden, who was pushing himself out to Brooklyn, he didn't get the contract that he wanted in the offseason. Kyrie was offered $183 million, but because of the whole COVID thing, the Nets took it off the table. I think that was wrong for what they did, but again, that's Sean Marks' decision. My question before we get into the L.A. Lakers, because we're going to go over there to your coast and and talk Mm -hmm. about the L.A. Lakers and what you think of them. Your thoughts to what Kyrie Irving has done this offseason, this regular season, is it something that, as a fan— be proud of him because he stuck to his Dukes. He's sticking to what he believes in. He hasn't done what the NBA told him before the season that he didn't have to do. They said he didn't have to take the vaccine. All of a sudden, two weeks before the season, they said every player has got to be vaccinated in New York or L.A. or you cannot play home games in New York. So are you proud of Kyrie Irving, of what he stood for and what he said on Instagram, especially admitting a lot of things that he's done in the past? Or are you step away and you say, 
Kyrie, you're putting your team in jeopardy of possibly winning a championship this year. I'm not proud of him. I do think that he made the choice that he wanted to make. It's an interesting choice, but again, I'm not mad at him either because he's not harming anybody. He's not out here recklessly, not wearing a mask, or I've seen some nasty stuff said about this man, and he doesn't deserve that. But at the end of the day, clearly I know you love basketball, but if this is what you're truly standing on, then you can walk away from the game. And now you really have zero distractions. But in a certain situation, if he's playing in another state with a looser mandate, we're not even talking about this. Mm -hmm. So I think we're giving too much power into it because of how New York City is ran. That's why we're giving so much of attention because if he's in D.C., if he's in Houston, if he is playing for the Mavericks or the Suns, we don't hear from it because players that aren't vaccinated can still come into the opposing cities and play. I just think we're giving it too much power. I agree with you. I feel bad for Kyrie Irving because he spoke his heart out on his Instagram feed. And the fact that he has admitted some of the stupid things he said in the past and he's made himself look bad. The fact that he's standing for himself. He's not hurting anybody. He's not telling anybody that vaccinated or unvaccinated people, they're doing the wrong thing. He's just sticking by what he believes in and he stands Mm -hmm. for. So I respect Kyrie Irving more than I ever respect of him because I grew up a Duke fan. And Kyrie is a Duke player, and I've been rooting him on since he was in Cleveland, jumped ship and went to the Celtics, and then told the Celtics, you know what, I'm going to come back. And then at the last minute, say, you know what, I'm jumping ship. I'm taking Kevin Durant, and we're going to win a championship in Brooklyn. I'm not winning anything over here. I didn't respect anything he did there, but when he spoke up and he said what he felt, and he didn't hold back on what he felt, and he admitted to some of his wrongs, I give nothing but my utmost respect to Kyrie Irving as a person, as a man, and as a father. I think he's a genuine person, a person that I have nothing but my utmost respect for, and I give him a lot of credit for standing up for what he believes. So moving on to the Lakers' current point guard and Russell Westbrook. Now he's all of a sudden getting swirled around in some trade rumors <laughs> as well. Is it something that you think is realistic? Could it be for something like a Kyrie Irving, Kyrie and LeBron back together again, especially now with Anthony Davis? He's still got to take his vaccination. Still, <laughs> yeah. But who knows? Maybe play with LeBron's the motivation he needs. We've seen Anthony Davis kind of hit a slump recently since LeBron has been either low management or has been injured a lot of the time. So do you think it's another classic GM LeBron type thing? Do you think it's just a smokescreen for maybe something else? Or do you think it's just a fluke and Russell Westbrook should be given more of a chance with the Lakers? I don't think Russell Westbrook goes anywhere, to be honest. I don't see Anthony Davis going anywhere either. But at the end of the day, there will be other moved around pieces. I think they're going to kind of make the best moves of needs and kind of go for that. But they haven't been healthy. Their big three is kind of similar to the Nets' big three. They have yet to play, like, a ton of games together. And it's just been inconsistent. I will say that LeBron has been overworked. When they went to go get Anthony Davis, they expected him to now be in this number one role, and he has yet to fill that seat. He's still dependent on LeBron because LeBron is still on the floor with him. But LeBron should be just cruising 30 to 35 minutes a game, not having to score 30 points a game, and still be effective. And they went and surrounded him with some good talent, but he's playing himself into a top five conversation. But then y'all in dogfights with the Kings and the Thunder, that's not a good look. Not saying that they're not going to make the playoffs or anything like that, but they're overworking themselves for a very old team. As everybody knows, we are talking to athletic NBA analyst Trayvon Edwards. We talk about LeBron James, and he's a different player in the playoffs. Last year going into the playoffs, he wasn't 
wasn't 100%, and that's why the Lakers got eliminated as fast as they did. I really thought they were a championship competitive team last year with some of the pieces that they added. It just didn't work. Then this offseason, they added Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook, and they added all these veteran players, different personalities. And I always said that it was going to take a while for this team to figure it out with all these ex-superstars playing with one another. It hasn't worked out so far. It's 25 games into the season. Are you surprised that the Lakers haven't figured it out? Maybe because LeBron James hasn't been 100% healthy, or maybe just this team is not what anybody thought it was going to be. Maybe they are old. Maybe Carmelo Anthony isn't the add-on player, that sixth man that the Lakers have needed over the last couple of years. Or maybe Anthony Davis just doesn't fit the credential of this team and the way it's set up. So what are your thoughts to this team as a whole in the first 25 games of the season? Exactly what you said. It's just the first 25 games of the season. When you build a team, especially a new team, players have to get familiar with each other. Whether they played all-star games or not together or Olympics or even worked out with each other, chemistry wins. Chemistry and durability made a healthiest team win. And also when you know the tendencies of your teammates, you know what I mean? Like it takes time. When a guy gets traded, you mostly hear, oh man, we're looking good, but we haven't got a chance to practice together yet. That's important. And when those guys aren't available, they haven't practiced. They got all these names. You look on paper, they're on paper champs. But when you really have to look at it, they haven't really ran anything. They haven't had Trevor Reza. They haven't had none. It's guys that was supposedly supposed to take them to the top. They have yet to play with a full healthy roster. And then now you add protocol and COVID and those things, and they're bringing in Isaiah Thomas, and they're going to be similar to the Nets, except LeBron doesn't play a style like a Kevin Durant. He knows that he's shorthanded, so he's playing through his team. He's building confidence through those young guys because they probably had no idea that they would even be sharing the floor with him this season. Mm. But they have to. They have no choice. They have eight players, and how he's doing it is getting them the ball. It's like, look, you out here, you better shoot. And then he's creating off of that and building that confidence. With LeBron, he's more of the ball handler. He has the ball majority of the time. A lot of those dudes watch instead of cutting to the basket, trying to find ways to make shots and things of that nature. So their styles are completely different. I'm not really on a big panic, and I don't think that the Lakers need to win 10 straight because if they did win 10 straight, we're not having this conversation. We're saying the Lakers are back, or we're saying be scared of the Lakers because the Lakers still have star power on that roster. And then that's all people care about is winning fixes all. Well, there you are, the six seeds. So they're not in a bad position. They're a playoff team right now. They just don't want to play in that round robin where they have that one game and they can lose that one game and get knocked out of the playoffs. They want to be in that top four where they have Memphis right now. John Morant has been sensational. They won the last three games without him playing. <laughs> He's special. We saw last year the Lakers be a seven seed and the extra games in the round robin kind of took a toll on an older team. The cliche is LeBron. It doesn't matter what seed you are. He could be playoff LeBron. The Cavs in 07 went to the finals. I think it was a four seed. The Cavs, when Kyrie Irving got hurt in 2018, went to the finals as a four seed. They beat the Celtics. We've seen certain other teams be not number one seeds, and LeBron still do well with those kinds of things. So is it different in the Western Conference, do you think? Did last year prove that kind of thing? Is it still a small sample size? Or is it maybe the gap closing between the West and the East more than we've seen? This might sound disrespectful to the other franchises, but... It's only like five good teams in the NBA right now. By far, they could win on their worst nights. You got mm-hmm. Phoenix, you got Brooklyn, you got Golden State. Utah. You Utah. Mm-hmm. You throw that out there and you really look at it, it's not as close as you think it is. You're saying teams will win a series out of respect. The Miami, you're loosely throwing those teams out. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. And the Lakers aren't really the top dog. It's Phoenix and Golden State. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't think that the Lakers could beat Golden State or Phoenix in a seven-game series. 
As of right now, no. But it could change. LeBron has to get this team motivated and playing on all cylinders. I think they got enough firepower, enough talent to do it. Anthony Davis, is when he's on the top of his game, he's one of the top five players in the league. LeBron James, when he's on his game, especially in the playoffs, he's a top five player in the league. And even Russell Westbrook, if he can open up his game and stop opening his mouth, which he loves to do and dresses like a clown half the time, his game is absolutely prototypically fits LeBron James's game. And that's why everybody thought him running running up and down the court with LeBron James was going to be the fastest show on earth, would you imagine? But it just hasn't worked yet. But like we just said, we're 20-some-odd games into the season, and people are already counting the Lakers out. I think it's ridiculous. Don't ever count LeBron James out. He is a totally different player in the playoffs. And if he is 100%, watch out for LeBron James. Watch out for this team because he is going to take names and take it with him. So that's who he is, and that's the player that he is. We are talking to athletic NBA analyst Trayvon Edwards. You know what's been very impressive to me is some of these low-balling teams that are balling right now. Cleveland, who would have thought would be a fourth seed right now in the Eastern Conference? They're 18-12. and 12. They get the kid from USC, Mobley, who's looked, to me, is rookie of the year right now. He's played two-way basketball. It's been sensational. Really changed the personality of this team. Chicago, with the offseason they had, I love Levine. I think he's awesome. But the fact that they added DeRozan, who has become a superstar player again from the Raptors, hopefully he does it in the playoffs with this team, something he didn't do with Toronto or the Spurs. But if he could do it with this team and take this team to higher heights. And then Lonzo Ball has really changed his game with better players and better teammates to play with. So are you surprised that these two teams have really stood out from the Miamis of the world, the Philadelphias of the world, where everybody thought, hey, wait a second. These are the two teams, two very good teams, dominant in the Eastern Conference. I approach this season in general just with a big question mark. I didn't know what to expect. I think this is the first year that it was almost wide open to a T. You see all these players getting acquired and things of that nature. You say, oh, well, the Lakers is going to do this. And, oh, the Nets is going to do that. And now it's going to be set in the finals. As soon as we got word that Kyrie wasn't going to be playing, now their chances were dwindling even more. And then you get to see James Harden where you're like, how is he going to recover from his hamstring? How is he doing? And he hasn't been great. He's still going to be an all-star this season despite his play. But looking at these other teams and how they're – developed i had high hopes for denver injury bug got them they can't escape the injury bug i feel like this is the same thing with miami miami tends to get it together just because spo knows how to get guys going then you got dark horses like charlotte this is random teams and the Cavs being able to draft well and get things done and jb bickerstaff has been able to coach and redesign roles for that team you got kevin love coming off the bench playing like a hungry guy trying mm-hmm. to make the league, and these things are inspirational. And on the other side, thinking like Luca would have a better year, and now we're raising our eyebrows at Luca, seeing if he can actually win ball games that count. And there's so many questions with with all these teams down the line. Portland, they're going backwards. It's interesting. Maybe Utah actually is taken seriously this season. They're rolling. So I was going to ask about that next with Portland. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum both have been in, in trade rumors pretty much since the beginning of the offseason and even at the trade deadline last year, too. Do you think Portland waited too long to trade those guys, one? And number two, where do you think are the most likely destinations for both of them? This trade should happen roughly three years ago if, if you're going to move Dane or C.J. It's been dragged out. I think they'll finally move forward with it, but Dane will stay. I think CJ will be on the move and go from there. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to factor in Dame has a lot off the court. His mom's there, his family, they're all in Portland. They've been there for a while. So, like, that's just a major move, and he's never really wanted to move. They made the biggest move by letting go 
Neil O'Shea. They're probably going to do a whole little culture reset over there. Obviously, they haven't been playing great. They've had the injury bug. CJ's out right now, and I think that those two could stay together. They have the ultimate respect for each other, but I think they've outgrown each other. It's time for CJ to go east and figure it out. Not even as option one guy, but just a dangling trade piece. I think that's what they have. I don't think they part ways with Ann Simons, and they don't part ways with Nazir Little. So whoever they do decide to package up with CJ, he'll be on the move. Well, before we let you go, because I I know you're a busy man, and I'm sure you're getting ready for doing other things or getting ready for your show tomorrow or the next day. I want your opinion. I want to get you on before the playoffs because we're going to come back to this. Who do you got going to the finals from the East and the West, and who do you got winning the championship this year? And we're going to get you on before the playoffs, and I want to know your opinion after that, because there's still a lot more basketball to be played. I probably would say the Warriors, especially if they go after DeMontis Sabonis, packaging Kaminga and Moody, and probably another complimentary player to go get DeMontis. That just puts them over the edge. But right now, with Clay returning, with Wiseman returning, also Wiseman could be a part of that. And then from there, I got the Warriors coming out the West. And then for the East, at the moment, I have Milwaukee. But things can change. Personally, I've been saying it. Although I'm loving what the Nets are doing, Kevin Durant needs more help. And until the Nets do that, I don't see them beating Milwaukee in a series. That series would be funny just for the purpose of will the Bucks fans wear their shirts, uh, the 28-1 shirts or whatever from the 2015 season mm. to try to troll them? No. <laughs> I don't think so either. So crazy. For sure. That would be pretty funny, though. Yeah, it would. Well, Mr. Edwards, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Trevon. T-R-A-V-O-N-N-E, and on Instagram at Trevon Edwards. Oh, and catch me on Basket Buds every Monday, Daily Ding on Tuesdays. I would love to get together one way or another. If you're in Brooklyn, bud, we should get together. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in Brooklyn right now. I am a DJ, so there's a lot of warehouse parties. Got some big DJs heading over there in the next couple of weeks. So maybe we'll swap Twitters and get together one of these days. We really appreciate you joining us, bud. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I had a great time talking basketball with you guys. Speedy, Trayvon, could you say that? Trayvon. Trayvon. One more time, off the tongue. Trayvon. Trayvon Edwards. Awesome, awesome interview. He gave you some takes when it comes to the Knicks, the Lakers, the Nets, the Golden State Warriors. Sensational interview, and we're looking to get him on again in the near, near future. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some baseball conversation. Chris Bryant. Is he the next New York Met? The Mets should be interested in Chris Bryant. And is Buck Showalter the next manager of the New York Mets? When we come back, I will tell you why he will be here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Errol Marks, or your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy the Delinquent Peewee. Not Petey, Peewee. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, Trayvon Edwards was awesome. We got a lot of basketball in, so why not? get into some baseball conversation and i know a lot of people are going to sit back and say well what is there to talk about the lockout is right now there's nothing going on in the news so why even talk about baseball i'm going to tell you why because it seems like 
it usually is the New York Yankees. They're the tabloids. They're the, the face of New York on what's going to go on in the offseason, how much money they're going to spend, or what free agent are they going to bring in. Well, this year, it's a completely different outlook. And really, for the last two seasons, it's been a completely different outlook to major league players and major league teams. And what I mean by that is, well, the Yankees are not the talk of the town anymore. It is the New York Mets. And this is coming from a Yankee fan. Right now, there's stories coming out, not only from Baseball Digest magazine or Sports Illustrated. A lot of people believe that Chris Bryant, the longer he sits in free agency, the longer this lockout lasts, the opportunities will open up for the New York Mets to scoop him up. When this lockout is over, it might open up bigger contracts, might open up more opportunities for National League teams to bring in a guy like Chris Bryant because there will be a DH, I believe, added to the National League. But really, the fact is is that he's sitting right now at home, not making any money. You talk about guys like Jacob deGrom, who got the contract a couple of years ago. He's making money. Max Scherzer got his contract from the New York Mets before this lockout. Seager, who took the $300 million contract from Texas before the lockout. And then Seaman. Another player that got a big contract from the Texas Rangers before the lockout. When you see these players, they're sitting home smiling because it doesn't matter if there's a season or no season. Chris Bryant, he's not making any money right now. He is a free agent. And I think that when this lockout is over, if it's in February, if it's in March, he's going to be looking for that contract more sooner than later because you can't go into the season expecting to take that one-year deal where you're going to make, yeah, you'll make $20, 25000000 million. And if you have a bad season, you put yourself in harm's way of not getting that long-term deal and that extension that you always wanted or that you want as a big-time young player. Any player that's remaining unsigned right now is very confident in the players' union and what they're going to be able to win in this lockout in terms of getting what they want for the contract stipulations. Now, most of the changes, I think, will come as a result of the younger players more than the veterans like Chris Bryant. But still, in terms of the leverage that these players have, they still can win in this lockout if, say, Chris Bryant gets the big money that, again, he might be thinking he might get or not for somebody that's a multi-positional guy but not really great at any defensive position. And throughout his career, has been kind of streaky. He had a great year last year with the Giants after being kind of streaky with the Cubs and obviously won an MVP back in 2016. How much leverage is that going to have in comparison to his down seasons? And for premium positions, also guys that are different ages, free agents right in their prime, like we saw with Bryce Harper, like we saw with Manny Machado, and now we're seeing with these two Rangers that you mentioned with Simeon and Seager. So, what kind of leverage will that kind of thing have? Chris Bryant is gambling to an extent in terms of what money he could make, but apparently trusting in the players' union for this, and if the Mets are the favorites to get him, obviously trusting in Steve Cohen. I'm reading things right now for the Yankees, and Jason Dominguez is a guy that I'm reading a story that came out December 17th, which was a couple of days ago, Mike Rosenstein from NJ Advanced Media of NJ.com wrote that it's no secret the New York Yankees are mulling their options at first base. Perhaps they make a run at 2020 NL MVP Freddie Freeman or maybe re-sign Anthony Rizzo. But if general manager Brian Cashman wants to save some dough, he could trade for Oakland A's first Baseman Matt Olson, the 27-year-old all-star set career 2021 with 39 home runs, 114 RBIs, according to that. But he's saying that if they do trade for a guy like Matt Olson, they would have to trade Jason Dominguez, Luis Gill, 
and Chad Green for a guy like Olsen. I don't see that to happen. That's too much to give away. Jason Dominguez, who I think is a 5 tool player, is still very young, 18 years old. Why would the Yankees trade their star outfielder? Could be the next Mike Trout in the future. I can't see the Yankees doing that, Speedy. I don't know why people seem to write these stories just to gain a story. And that's a lot to give up for Matt Olson. Matt Olson's a good player, but you can overpay Freddie Freeman and bring in a much better player. And Luis Gill, he looked great last year. Why would you trade one of your best young prospects in your farm system? It doesn't make any sense, Speedy. Matt Olson is not the price for that kind of thing. You're looking at a younger guy for Olsen, but still not the elite of the elite first baseman in the league. And even so, first base is not really the quote-unquote premier position when you're judging contracts nowadays. It's shortstops, third baseman, center fielders, and obviously pitching, which the Yankees could definitely use some pitching. So if there's a young pitcher that becomes available in a trade where they can make that kind of thing work, then maybe you could consider pulling the trigger. I wouldn't do it for a first baseman when Rizzo, I think, should be able to re-sign for a pretty good price as it is. So even if they don't get Freeman, I don't expect them to get Freeman, but if he does become available, yeah, that's definitely the target. A durable guy, great team leader, as we know, consistent. It's for batting average, great defensive first baseman, and it's not super old. Obviously, Olsen's younger, but it's not super old where you're concerned about the age right now, even if he does end up taking something like a four-year deal. So I think that's still the path that you're going to go on. I wouldn't do it for Dominguez. Obviously, the Athletics being the small market team, they're going to push for that kind of thing first, but it's still not realistic where it is right now for somebody like Dominguez to be the starting point for that kind of offer. I know a lot of Yankee fans are not excited about this signing. They signed former Atlanta Braves center fielder Ender Enciarte, but first of all, was a gold glove winner and an all-star at the outfield position for many, many years with the Atlanta Braves. So Diamondbacks, he, too. Yes, he's an old player, but he's a good fill-in player, a bench player that you could bring in who could play center field and help out if Aaron Hicks can't play the position this year or can't stay healthy at the position this year. Now, I, I do believe the Yankees will look at options more options besides Ender to be the guy. But to get a guy like that on a pretty good contract, a minor league contract, who wants to come play in New York, yes, he's a veteran player, but he's won gold gloves. He's been an all-star. Why are you going to be upset about that as a Yankee fan, adding a player of that magnitude? He's only 31 years old, too. Yeah. So he's not an old player. I always liked him in Arizona, too. He was always one of those players, kind of like A.J. Pollock, teammates at the time. They were talented but hurt. He's not a power hitter, but he hits for good batting He's average. one of those steals. We've seen a lot of these guys not hit for average or hit for power. They come to the Yankees, and they do. So, But in his peak, he did hit for average so he just didn't hit for power so maybe the Yankees maybe could find some power out of him he is a left-handed hitter so maybe the short porch could help him obviously he's not going to hit like 20 home runs but maybe he could elevate him to be in the 10-15 range which he's always been more the average contact hitting and stolen base type he was never a lot of the true center fielder he played a little bit of it with the Braves and obviously a little bit of the Diamondbacks when Pollock was hurt but Pollock was always the primary center fielder that being said he still has good range though we'll see how the injuries caught up to him before my league contract it's a, it's a good gamble I always thought he was very under they, they also signed Jimmy Cordero, who I think is a good pickup for the Yankees, too. Now, they could put him as a relief pitcher. They could also put him in the starting rotation if need be. I think bringing in Jimmy Cordero, they, they gave him a, a small contract. They're making their small contracts. They're making their small signings. I don't think the Yankees are done. I don't see the Yankees not making a big signing or having a big signing or even making another big trade where it can add pieces to make this team a much better team. They're not ready to win right now with the team that they have set up. So I don't think the Yankees 
Yankees are done. But Jimmy Cordero, I think that's a good move for the Yankees. They didn't obviously trade anybody. They brought him in. He looked good with the Blue Jays. He's looked good with the White Sox. He's a good add-on piece. Yeah, versatile pitchers are what they need. So, obviously, it's not going to be a big, big guy. But it's it's a start. It's something that you need. And the Yankees are trying to build a modern bullpen. That's the biggest key. With Chapman being more of a pure closer, Britain, he's versatile with the Orioles, but still not the same pitcher he was. Obviously, had a bad season this year. And outside of Loisaga, really don't have that other consistent option when it comes to a versatile reliever. So it's a start. Obviously, it's not going to be the only one. More will come after the lockout ends, whenever that ends up happening. But it's something. Try him out and make it work. The Yankees always done well with relief pitchers, like growing them. So I trust him. He's a starter, first of all. And I don't think he's going to start for the Yankees. I think the Yankees are going to put him in the bullpen. He strikes out a lot. In eight games last year, he struck out 65. His whip was 1.373. And his ERA was 4.55. Now, is that a good ERA? No. But again, if you put him in the bullpen, you put him as your your sixth inning or fifth inning guy, or even your seventh inning guy, he could be a very good option for the Yankees. And he's still fairly young, 30 years old. So uh, the Yankees are starting to add pieces to their roster. Now, are they closing or finishing pieces or pieces that you're going to say, wow, this team is a championship competitive team. But I'm telling you, the Yankees have always hit on one or two of these guys that they bring in that nobody liked. Ender bringing him in as an add-on outfield option. Mm-hmm. He's still a young player, still can catch, still can play defense, still can hit for average. Left-handed hitter. So I think the Yankees are slowly but surely adding pieces to the team where they can compete as they move forward when this lockout is over, Speedy. You brought up Aaron Hicks. Inciarte was kind of like Hicks with the Twins in a way. I think Hicks was a little better of a hitter, but it wasn't by much. They were kind of that same center field defensive type, hit for a high average in certain years. Hicks was a little more inconsistent with that, but still was a better hitter. I think all-around hitter with home runs, RBIs, and the Yankees elevated his power to the next level, and maybe they can do the same thing with NCRT. Do I expect NCRT to get that level of playing time? Probably not, but if Hicks is hurt, that definitely bodes well. If even one of their other outfielders hurt. Judge is always hurt. Stanton's always hurt. You have a good other option to make that kind of thing work. And if Hicks is healthy playing in center field, you don't have to rush Inciarte into center field because it's not his natural thing. He's played it only on occasion throughout his career. So it's definitely a good depth piece to have. I always thought it was underrated. The Yankees are in position to make a big move. Now, is it going to be Freeman? Who knows? If it's going to be Correa... It's going to be an option that the Yankees are going to have to make. And, and, and if they do do that, where are they going to put Volpe, their, their top prospect? Are they going to move him to third base? Are they going to move him to second and trade Glaber Torres? Only time will tell on the way the Yankees are going to really put this team where they want to be. Brian Cashman is a genius. The guy knows what he's doing. So I think a lot of Yankee fans need to lay low and let this guy do what he does best. And that's really recreate the wheel of what this Yankee team is going to be. As far as the Mets are concerned, I think Chris Bryan is definitely an option for them. I don't think the Mets are done. If they land Chris Bryan, I think they're done. With the amount of money they've put into four of these players, especially Max Scherzer, give him $130 million of contract for three years, 43, highest paid pitcher, highest paid player in the major leagues right now, if you really look at it. Um, MLB history. (laughs) Yeah, so I see the options are not going to be so deep for the New York Mets because Steve Cohen is opening up his pockets and really dug deep in his pockets to make this team a competitive team and playoff team. So it's going to be very interesting as we move forward in the lockout. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll finish up with some hockey. The Islanders, mm, I don't know. That's all I'm going to say. I don't know what this team is. I trust in Barry Trotz. I trust in Lou Lamorello. I don't think they're done. I think there will be trades being made, especially if this team doesn't produce moving forward in the next couple of weeks. I don't know what they are. As far as the Rangers are concerned, the Rangers are definitely one of those teams that are 
the teams to beat in the Eastern Conference right now. Crazy to say when they were not that type of team in the last two years with Quinn. Maybe Gallant is the guy, was the right choice of bringing in. Now, I don't think their GM is anything, Chris Drury, but you can't really shoot down what he's done in the offseason because he's been hitting on all cylinders on what these players have done. When we come back, we'll get into some hockey here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the delinquent Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, I have had a problem finding the right underwear for Christmas time. Now, everybody asks me, what do you want for Christmas? I want usually underwear, socks, and T-shirts. That's what I usually ask for. You're looking to buy me something. Buy me some boxer briefs, but tight around the legs, less tight around the hips. I have a bunch of underwear, boxer briefs, that are not fitting me anymore. Not because I've gained weight. I would say my hips have gotten bigger. I've gotten a little bit stronger. I've gotten back into the gym. Not really working on my legs because of my hip surgery. That's something that I won't probably be doing for the next couple of months. I would say six, seven months before I could actually touch a weight for my legs. But my hips have gotten bigger and stronger. So I'm going to need bigger and longer underwear, Speedy. And cleaner underwear for you. So if anybody wants to buy or send Speedy some clean underwear. Send him some underwear. <laughs> send him some underwear. He needs it. Uh, especially the dirty ones that he wears every single day. Anyways, before we get into debate wars and crunch time, I wanted to get into some hockey conversation. And the talk of the town of the New York Rangers, Speedy, and I I know you're a big Ranger fan, so before I tell you what I think about your New York Ranger team, because I am an Islander fan and I'm not happy about what I've seen so far, I think fans would like to know your opinion about your team and what you've seen so far in 30 games of the New York Rangers at the quarterway of the season. And the Rangers have played good hockey. They have, and they They've been battling, too. They've done a great job this year with depth players, I think, for the most part. You were mentioning Chris Drew before the break. Well, I'm, I'm not going to call him a world-class GM, but I think a lot of his moves have paid off so far. Barclay Goodrow has played very well centering that third line. We've seen guys like Dryden Hunt contribute. He had, I think, a stretch with three goals in four games or something like that. Obviously, Ryan Reeves, if he's not in the penalty box, has definitely been a difference maker for this team. And Gerard Gallant is getting the best out of the certain players. Is he doing the Vegas job? No, not necessarily. Ironically, they played yesterday as well. But I didn't expect him to do it that good, but I expected it to be something to that level. That's why Gallant was brought in there, to make these young players work. They were supposed to have good offensive depth last year, and it didn't show. The Rangers had instances where they had great goaltending and stretches and then bad goaltending. When their stars were out, Panarin with the whole Russia thing and Zibanejad with COVID at the beginning of the season, those other guys didn't really step up. Then you saw in the second half of the season they started to play a little better, and now you're kind of seeing that ripple effect from the second half of last year where they started to rally back into this season with these young players, too. Lafreniere's played great. I think Capococco's not great, but he's finding something at least, and that's a good sign for them. But the big thing with Gallant is the physicality with their forwards has been a lot better. The Rangers' forecheck overall has been better, which is a lot of his system. And their defense, it's not great on paper, but it's been better as a whole. It's been serviceable. And without Shesterkin playing right now, they've still done well at winning games. They almost blew it against the Coyotes. But outside of Colorado... 
They haven't had any bad losses recently. I think when you look at the Rangers, they're just tougher than they have been over the last couple of years. And you were talking about Reeves. You talk about the, some of the additions that they've had. Some of the trades that they made in the offseason, you kind of shake your head. But the defense has played very well. I think when you look at the coaching and the position that they're in, it has a lot to do with Gallant's defense and team defense. No, they give up a lot of goals. No question that they do. But they're very good team defensive thought and ability to do the things that they need to do on the ice that makes them a very good team, a very good team defensive team. So I think when you look at the Rangers and the ability that they have this year, and they're scoring game-winning goals, big goals in big parts of the game when there's two minutes left and they're tied 2-2 or 3-3 or 4-4 or even 5-5, the Rangers are getting that goal later in the game that's giving them a late lead, which is giving them a win. So the Rangers are just a completely different team that they have Mm -hmm. been over the last couple of years. So it has a lot to do with coaching as the belief, the scheme, and what Gallant is telling them after the games, pushing them, striding to be the best team that they could possibly be. So, as a Ranger fan, you should be very excited of what you've seen with a the New real forecheck. About time. Well, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. They're a tougher team, tougher mind, and I think the players are playing. Chris Kreider's being the player that everybody thought he was going to be, and they gave him a lot of money a couple of years ago, and he really hasn't shown to be worth the money that he got. A couple of years ago, people and Ranger fans wanted to trade a guy I like that. Chris Kreider. Uh-huh. Now, all of a sudden, they're sitting back. He's been the best player on the Rangers. He's got close to 20 goals. He's going to have a 40-goal season if he keeps it up, what he's doing. It's been incredible what Chris Kreider has done. I, I remember that. And I was one of the Rangers fans saying, don't trade Kreider. I didn't think he was going to cost a lot. He was about, making about $6.5 million. okay. But he was the only physical forward at that time, and they needed that player like that. It always has been a great playmaker, and now he's improved into a goal scorer. He was never that big of a goal scorer. He was close to 20 goals. As far as the Islanders are concerned, Lou Lamorello has been speaking quite a few times in the last couple of weeks. And you sit back and you say, have the Islanders played better in the last two weeks? I would say they have. They've shown up to the games, getting healthier. Barzell's still at the COVID protocol. They're not 100% healthy. Hopefully when this team gets 100% healthy, they start to play better hockey. They beat the Bruins the other day. The Bruins, who have played better in the last couple of weeks, so you beat a decent team. You sit back and you wonder what this team is and if they're going to be able to catch up to the teams in front of them. That's going to be the question. They're going to have to go on a five, six, seven game winning streak at least twice this year for them to catch up to the teams that are ahead of them. But are they capable of doing that? I think the Islanders are. They're getting good goaltending from Sorokin, playing better defense. But to me, they're putting too much pressure on the kid and letting the kid do everything when it comes down to it on their side on the ice. So I think they need to score more goals. They need to find more. Now, what they did to Bolivier, and I I think Barry Trotz is very right for sitting him out a couple of games, trying to get him more confident when they did that a couple of years ago when Barry Trotz came in. It made him score 19 goals when he came out of the AHL. So maybe it gives him a little bit more confidence and he plays a little bit harder. But it's not just Bolivier that's not scoring. And, and that's a huge problem because the players like Zach Parisi that they brought in, he hasn't really scored any goals. Zidane Chara has not been the defenseman and the leader that they thought he was going to be. And the signings that they had in the offseason, Paul Murray. Paul Murray has, what, had three goals all season long? Yeah. I mean, that's it's not weird. good. He's done well in the playoffs, and yet he's done bad in both regular season stints so far. So you're overpaying players. And a lot of people say they underpaid some of the defensemen that they have this year, but they haven't had Pulak all season long. He's been injured. And Pelic 
who has played well in certain stints of the game, has not been the player that we thought he was going to be this year, even though they got him on a long, cheap contract. So I think as an Islander fan, you can't be happy for what you see, but you can't blame Barry Trotz. You can't blame Sorokin. And right now, even though Lou Lamorella has not looked good in some of the signings that he's made in the offseason, he's opened up money where they can spend in the offseason or at the trade deadline. So you can't be upset at Lou Lamorello either. It's just these players are not producing the way we thought they were going to be. Lou Lamorello is definitely going to have to look at some different options to look at when it comes to offensive depth. I think the veterans that they brought in, they're more of the fit of the Barry Trotz physical forwards scheme with the defense. And obviously they've had to compensate for that because they haven't had the healthy defensemen right now. And obviously Zdeno Chara looks slow and just looks old at this point. In terms of Char, I'd probably just leave him on the team as a healthy scratch. He's still a good leader and stuff like that, but on the ice, he probably can't be there right now. They have young guys. Bring them up. Play them. For the wingers, yeah, Parise just got his first goal recently. He did well in the playoffs, but he's only done very small things in the regular season so far, which doesn't bode well for a team that lacks the other offensive depth. And that other second line really hasn't been Bailey and Bovillier getting benched and Brock Nelson's been up and down type thing. He was good in the beginning of the season. Now, all of a sudden, he's hit a slump. Paul Murray has in 25 games, one goal and six assists. Wow. And his plus minus is minus 11. Damn. You, you can't sit here after giving him almost what? Five and a half million dollars. Expect that this guy shouldn't have about 10 goals already this year. Even on a bad season, he should have 10 goals this year. He's on the path of probably scoring 15 goals. Mm -hmm. That's not a good season. And for the Islanders to compete and get themselves back into the playoffs to compete. I think they're built for the playoffs. I think they're built better than the Rangers are when it comes to the playoffs. Of course, if they can't get into the playoffs, what is the point of being built for the playoffs? Exactly. And here's the bigger problem with the Islanders. And because they don't have the healthy top defensive pair right now, they've had to one move guys up, but two, Also, they've had trouble possessing the puck. And in any sport, you need to be able to have your defense to be well-rested. Obviously, in hockey, it's a lot different because you're on the ice anyway. So the shift time is not going to make a difference. But you don't want those same guys on the ice. And you also want to be able to hold on to the puck. A lot of teams that win that don't have these elite defenses win because of puck possession. If you can't possess the puck for even 45% of the time, it's going to be very hard. And the Islanders haven't done that this season either. It seems like they're shooting kind of rushed. They're trying to get all the tough goals. They're known for the tough goals, obviously obviously, with the big bodies that they have. But still, you can't rely on that kind of thing exclusively. So they're going to have to look at so many different options when it comes to adjustment in terms of the game planning and adjustments maybe on their roster. I said about a month ago, maybe two players is what they got to look for in terms of trading for if they're going to make a trade. But if they fall too far down, it might be not worth it to do it right now. I think right now, when you look at the Islanders, they have to figure out who they are and what they are as a team before they can do any of that. So wondering who they are as an offensive team is not going to help them put the puck in the net. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? We finish the show with Debate Wars and Crunch Time. (laughs) Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy the damn PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, we do this every single week. We have made them a tandem of a segment. Speedy, what do we got? We got Debate Wars. This is the Debate Hour. 
And now in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a shit? All right, we'll start this week in the NFL. Who is the better Giants pass rusher? O.C. Umanura or Leonard Marshall? I'm going to go with O.C. Umanura. What he has done, uh, especially with the two championships, 2007, 2011, I think people forget how dominant he was. They talk about Justin Tuck, and they talk about, obviously, the guy with the gap in his teeth, but uh, Michael Strahan. I, I think O.C. Umanura was just as important as both of them, so I'm going to go with O.C. Umanura. I'm going to go with Leonard Marshall on this one because he also played multiple positions, too. He played defensive tackle, defensive end. Uh, Umanura was probably a little more consistent in his career, but obviously Lawrence Taylor playing with Leonard Marshall definitely elevates his stats a little bit. Again, he played with Strahan and played with Tuck, too. And Leonard Marshall, I think, was more well-rounded all around of just playing with that. Umanura was a great speed rusher. was pretty steady throughout his career, but I'm going to take Leonard Marshall just with the versatility. Who is a better player, Dale Murphy or Larry Walker? Larry Walker. Now, Dale Murphy was a good player. I, I like what he did as a player. But Larry Walker, especially when he was in Colorado, uh, he was the face of the Colorado Rockies. The power that he added, and he was a great defensive player, a very underrated defensive player. So I'm going to go with Larry Walker. Yeah, I'm going to go with Larry Walker as well. Career 313 hitter. Good st- uh, steal bases, which, again, for a guy like that, that wasn't really like a premier position to steal bases, an outfielder, a first baseman like that. Uh, uh, 383 home runs. I know Murphy had more in his career, but this was more consistent. I know Coors Field definitely elevated a little more, but it doesn't really, it's not a big thing for batting average as much as it is for the power numbers, and I don't think his power numbers would be that much drastically different. So I'm going to go with Larry Walker as well. All right, let's go to the NBA. Who is a better sixth man type player, Jason Terry or Jamal Crawford? Mm. Ah, that's a good one. I'm going to go with Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford won, what, six, six man of the years in a mm-hmm. row or something, a five in a row. Unbelievable with the Clippers. Really dominated. And he, he was a good starting player, too. He played for the Knicks, played for Chicago. A great three-point shooter. Even got better as he got older. So I'm going to say he was like more like fine wine. So I'm going to go with Jamal Crawford. I agree with you. I'm going to go Jamal Crawford as well. I think his longevity has been very good with many teams he went through. The Clippers especially, he was very good with. Also, Minnesota, the year he was there, they, they made the playoffs that year. Only year they made the playoffs. And on those god-awful Knicks teams, when I first started watching basketball, he was the player that was most fun to watch for me. So I, I definitely got to go with Jamal Crawford on this one. And again, he, for a guy that Jason Terry took some point guard reps as, off the bench, his assist numbers aren't far behind either. So I'm going to go with Jamal Crawford. All right, we'll do one hockey one, then go to crunch time. Better defenseman all time, Dennis Potvin or Al McInnes? Dennis Potvin, four Stanley Cups, one of the faces of the New York Islanders championship team. A shutdown defender. Now, he didn't have a shot like Al McGinnis. He didn't have the slap shot with all the force. But he did a lot of things defensively that Al McGinnis couldn't do. So I'm going to go with Dennis Potvin. I'll take McGinnis in this one. I think even though Potvin was on the four Stanley Cup teams, I think the longevity for McGinnis was very good with, with the Blues later on in his career. They didn't go to the Cup, but they went to the playoffs a lot with Brett Hull on that team. And the Flames, too. On that one Stanley Cup team, they beat the Canadians. Upset a very good Canadians team was a big part of it. 12.74 points in his career in an era of hockey where the defense outside of Raymond Bork didn't really score like that. So I am going to go with McKinnis. So that will conclude Debate Wars for this week. And now we move on to Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. Alright, we'll start with football this week. We'll start with some tight ends. Buy or sell. Both Kyle Pitts and George Kittle will have 75-plus yards and a touchdown in their matchup this week. I'm going to buy that. I think both players are slowly but surely gotten better as the season progressed. I think what George Kittle has done with the 49ers in the last two weeks just shows you 
why he's a dominant player and why he's one of the most dominant forces at his position. And and we all know what Kyle Pitts is. He, he's getting better and better every single week, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it only for the reason of there are two great tight ends, but also two great coverage linebackers, Deion Jones and Fred Warner, two of the best in the league. Warner's coverage metrics. Deion good... Jones is not a good coverage. Yes, he is. He's a good coverage linebacker. He's not, he's not as good of a run-stopping linebacker, but coverage he actually is very good. But Fred Warner, I think, is the best in the league, and his metrics have showed that the last couple of years. So I think they're going to contain him just enough. I could see them getting a touchdown. Maybe Kittle gets a touchdown, but they also run the ball out the 49ers. So he's not going to get that same target share. So I am actually going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. Another Ovechkin milestone. He could break the power play goals record all the time if he gets one. So buy or sell. He'll get it in the next three games. Oh, I'm going to buy that. Ovechkin's unbelievable. And he, he's one of the best goal scorers we've ever seen. I do believe he'll break Wayne Gretzky's goal record. I think he needs like 150 more. He won't stop until he breaks that record. So I'm going to buy it. I'll buy it too. I think the Capitals playing very well right now. Now tied with the Rangers and the Hurricanes for first in the Metropolitan Division. And big reason for that is Ovechkin. Winnipeg, they play tonight, whose defense is pretty good, but not great. And tonight will come out gets a lot easier where they should be able to coast. I think the record on the line, Ovechkin power play, I will definitely buy that. Buy or sell, Kemba Walker will return to the Knicks starting lineup within the next 10 games. I'm selling it. I think the Knicks are going to hold on to him until they decide where they're going to move him on some kind of tag team trade where they can trade him with a bunch of other pieces to get another point guard. Uh, and then they'll uh, eventually let him go and he'll go where he wants. So I think he will be sitting the bench and riding the pie pony until the Knicks decide to trade him. So I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too. I think Tom Thibodeau's ways, he's been very frustrated with him as a whole. Derek Rose is his guy and Alec Burks really has been his guy too. So I am also going to sell it as well. They're going to keep exploring that trade option as well. Buy or sell. Both Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson will have 250 plus passing yards in their matchup. I'm going to sell that. I think Aaron Rodgers will. I don't see Lamar Jackson doing that. Lamar Jackson's been absolutely horrible the last couple of weeks. I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe after since his COVID, his protocol, when he stepped off the field, he's not the same person that he was all season, early in the season. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too. His ankle injury has been the biggest thing that's been holding him back for the most part, especially rushing the ball as well. And I think when he doesn't have that same flexibility, he gets a little scared. He gets a little conservative. So I agree with you. I think Rodgers will. I don't think Rodgers will have a drastic amount, but I think he'll have over 250. Lamar definitely won't. So I am going to sell that. All right. Buy or sell. The Mets will have their new manager within the next week. I'm going to sell that. I think the Mets are going to hold up on it. I think they'll make a decision in the next two weeks. I think they're going to wait until the new year, then plunge or attack who they believe is the guy for the future of this team. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too. I feel like their Mets are going to do some kind of announcement like on a big like a New Year's Eve or something like that, New Year's Day, because the Mets always do things at weird times. But yeah, I don't think it'll be within the next week. They're down to three candidates. They got the Astros bench coach, Espada, the Rays bench coach, and Showalter being the main guys. But I think they'll wait it out a little more. I will also sell it. All right, buy or sell. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum will both be traded by the Blazers. I'm going to sell it. I think McCollum or Lillard will be traded. I know we heard from Trayvon. He believes it's going to be CJ. I don't think it's going to be CJ. I think it's going to be Damian Lillard because Damian Lillard is the better option and you can get more for him. So I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too. I think CJ McCollum with his injuries is going to be very hard to trade as well. I think they're going to maybe want a veteran for veteran soft. We've seen the Sixers be interested in with Ben Simmons. We've all seen Damian Lillard expect interest in wanting to play with Ben Simmons. So that's a whole nother socket of that. But I think that'll end up being very hard. I will also sell. 
Buy or sell. The Patriots' defense will limit Jonathan Taylor under 100 yards. I will buy that. I still think he's going to get 80 or 90 yards, and I still think he's going to get a touchdown or two. As good as the Patriots' defense has been this year, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop this guy automatically offensively. So I do believe he's not going to get over 100 yards, but I still think he's going to be a very important piece. So I'm going to buy it. I will buy it. I think he will get close to it. I think he'll have 100 scrimmage yards. They might use him as a receiving back, but I think Frank Reich showed against the Buccaneers that even though you could be matched up with a tough run defense, he's not afraid to throw the ball when he needs to. I think he's a good enough coach where they can make that kind of thing work. Game planning wise, execution wise, we'll see, but I will buy it as well. All right, buy or sell. Mark Andre Fleury got his 500th win recently. He's 50 behind Patrick Waugh for all time. Buy or sell. He will play long enough to surpass that record. Well, he's not going to break Bro Dorsey's record. No, no. But he, yes, I do think he's going to pass Patrick Waugh. It won't be this year. In the next two years, I do believe Mark Andre Fleury will knock him off. And Mark Andre Fleury, believe it or not, has had a Hall of Fame career. He's oh, he's been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. When you see the Pittsburgh Penguins and trading him and sending him all over the place, he's really proven himself as an elite goaltender. So I'm going to sell that, not this year, but he will break that record. Yeah, I'll buy it that he'll break the record at some point because I actually think he will end up back with the Penguins in some facet with Crosby and maybe with Malkin if he doesn't get traded. So I think definitely not this year, but I think he will end up breaking it. I will buy it as well. All right, buy or sell. Odell Beckham will have his fourth straight game with a touchdown against the Seahawks this week. I'm going to sell that. I don't think he will. I think with the Seahawks this week, they're going to have problems stopping Cooper Cup, so they're going to try to shut one of them down. I think you have a better chance of shutting down Odell Beckham, so I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think they're going to game plan a little more in the red zone. I think Pete Carroll, even though he's regressed as an overall coach, he's still a good defensive schematic guy, even with the bad defense that he has. He's made some kind of things work, and usually there has been receivers. They're not going to be able to stop Cooper Cup. So. I don't think so, either. And Cooper Cup, before he was even, like, great, great, still had great games against the Seahawks, so I agree with you. I am going to sell it. We'll do two more. Buy or sell. Urban Meyer will get another college football coaching job in nope. the next two seasons. He's done. You will not see Urban Meyer ever coach again in college in the NFL. So I will sell it. Yep. Too many issues. He had issues in 2019 when he first had to leave with Ohio State. So, and now everything that added up with Jacksonville, no way. I am going to sell it. All right. One more. The Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Obviously the three controversial ones, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling got the highest percentage of the vote. They're all in their last year. Buy or sell. Two out of three will make it. I'm going to sell that. I think one of them will. And that's Kurt Schilling. Yeah, he had the highest percentage last time. I don't think Barry Bonds will. And I don't think Roger Clemens is. It's a shame Barry Bonds isn't because I think to me he's if not the greatest player we've seen in the last 30 years, could be one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. I understand he did steroids. You want to punish him for that. You put an asterisk on his Hall of Fame name, but he's a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens is too, but if you're going to knock one of them out, knock Roger Clemens out. So I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I don't trust the baseball writers whatsoever. They're the stingiest group. I am definitely going to sell that. Barry Bonds definitely should be, and he was a 400-400 guy before steroids, so I'm going to sell that. But I don't trust the baseball writers to do so. And that, ladies and gentlemen, Gentlemen, was Debate Wars and Crunch Time. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. We had a lot of fun. Shout out to the fans that keep listening to us. Shout out to NBA analyst, friend of the show, Trayvon. Yes, Trayvon Edwards. He was great. Thank you, Trayvon. All the fans that keep listening to us, we really appreciate all the fans linking and watching and following our app and our shows around the country. We are one of the big digital sports radio shows. We are the voices of Long Island Sports Radio, so we really appreciate that. So stay tuned for next week. We'll be back next week at 7 p.m. Until then, this is Speedy PD and Errol Mark saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.